Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbard along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music as we kick off a brand new week and it is a bit airish out there, Rhino. Not nearly as airish as it's going to be this weekend. (laughs) Well, uh, you are right. So rather dire predictions for winter weather sweeping blast (laughs) they're so dramatic with it aren't they uh it might you know the first thing that comes to mind is the rather precipitous rise in the cost of fuel to heat one's home energy and uh, you're looking at where it's really where it has really risen dramatically, the part of the country that is expecting the worst of this winter storm moving across from west to east. What's the latest? I mean, we're talking about major snowfall, right, in the northeast, midwest? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I saw some reports of something like six to eight inches of snow, depending on where you are. But uh, I think if the Magnolia State gets anything, it's going to be flurries or sleet mainly up in the northern part of the state but temperatures potentially dropping into the single digits oh yeah there could be parts especially in in the northern half of the magnolia state that will see sub freezing temperatures for anywhere from 12 to 36 hours wow where it won't get above freezing for a day or so yeah that's cold and even on the gulf coast in the teens being forecast. Well, it's better than warm, humid, nasty, wet Christmas, right? Because right oh, yeah. now I think it looks sunny, just cold. Just a little cold. So all sorts of recommendations on how to make sure the water keeps flowing. What are your thoughts on that? I've got a good friend who's a builder who posted something on social media this morning it sounded like an awful lot of work well it depends on how old your home is if you've had a renovation recently and whether or not during the renovation they upgraded the plumbing because since all of these rules of thumb came about to keep your pipes from freezing the plumbing industry has solved a few of those problems okay for instance if you 
I don't know exactly where it is in the house because I'm not a plumber, but I've watched a couple of videos on this, and I, I feel intelligent enough to, to describe it. Okay. I may give the wrong name, though. I believe it's called PEX piping, where you have the hot water going through a red plastic pipe and the regular water going through a, coal, a blue plastic pipe, and the piping is designed to expand. So if it's not a foolproof method but it does relieve some pressure if you do have freezing in the pipes but that only helps you if you've got the pex piping if you've got a house that was built before pex was invented and you haven't remodeled or renovated then you've got to go back to the old rules of thumb of cover up the faucets drip the taps open the cabinet so the heat can get to the pipes and all that fun stuff hmm okay well, my friend says, don't just drip the water. Let it run rather steadily, you know, slow. But make sure you've got both the hot and cold actuated and flowing. Because I guess you got separate pipes there, right? So right. you don't have it flowing. So also reminded that if you have like an outdoor porch of some, or something like that where you have sink, plumbing, don't forget about that as well. So, well, we'll see for sure, but it's going to be cold. And are we not looking at a possible record in terms of temperatures in some parts? Uh, it depends country? on if the weatherman is correct or not. Okay. At this far out, it's really tough to get down to individual degrees of of uh, accuracy. But if if the weatherman is correct, then it, it could we could be breaking some record colds, especially this weekend. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I'm looking at the latest from the National Weather Service, the Weather Prediction Center, and it's pretty serious across the kind of the northern plains in particular. But, yeah, that Arctic blast is going to get us on down to here as well. Lots of sports over the weekend. I know your favorite soccer, Lionel Messi, gets him a World Cup. He can finally enter. I mean, he was already in the conversation for one of the greatest of all time, but now he can probably enter the top five comfortably, probably be in the top three. It's really difficult to put him above someone like Pele. Yeah. Because Pele was just as transformational on the pitch, but he also won three World Cups, whereas Messi has won everything else except the World Cup, and finally he gets that World Cup trophy. But, uh, yeah, that was... That was two superstars, one superstar towards the end of his career and another that's on still on the way up for his trajectory of talent with Mbappe playing for France. But, uh, yeah, exciting match. I didn't get to watch it live. I was actually went to church and then went out to eat with my family, and my little brother was giving me updates on it. But uh, I went back and rewatched it, and, yeah, really exciting match. Argentina, first time since 86, I believe, third time. With Maradona. Yeah. I would have to have one bone of contention for Fox. Okay, their coverage has been okay. I'm, I'm not a I'm not a full blown hater. They've they've done a passable job. I think ESPN's World Cup coverage was better, but sadly Fox won the rights. The problem I have is it's the World Cup. It happens once every four years. Why in the world did you cut away to a regular season NFL game before the World Cup trophy is lifted? Yeah. It's all a part of the spectacle. 
Well, I got a great deal of attention. What really are just some stunning images to look at is the celebration in the streets of Buenos Aires. Unbelievable. I don't think I've ever seen that. They've got some really wide open uh, venues there. And I don't think I've ever seen quite that many people crammed in, to, I mean, so tightly into a spot. I don't know how many, but literally the photos of that are incredible. Never seen anything like it. If there was ever a COVID event, that was it, because they're shoulder to shoulder, and it's a bunch of them, and they are celebrating. I'm looking at a photo right now on the AP. The uh, article entitled, Argentines Erupt in Joy After Epic World Cup Final. And they are um, they're celebrating in an area that has a monument that looks like our Washington Monument. Never, never seen that before. Well, in fairness, the, the Washington Monument is based on the Egyptian obelisks. That's true. And those have been around for thousands of years as... A way to decorate public spaces in a in a way that shows off your power and prominence. Very true, but this is Buenos Aires, and it looks like this monument is in a really open area, what appears to be a, a, a downtown sort of avenue, and it's just a mass of humanity like I don't think I've ever seen. Like the whole country must be crammed into the sea of blue and white. <laughs> Which I went down a rabbit hole this morning. I remember reading about this probably 10 years ago, but I guess it just didn't stick in my head because it felt fresh reading about it. But the the history of the blue and white, why the Argentina team wears that. Okay. And it's partially because that's their flag, but the story goes back much further than that. You can actually trace it all the way back to the Byzantine Empire and the use of special specific dyes to give the Virgin Mary a blue cloak or robe okay because the color blue was so expensive so you only used it on prominent figures and throughout the years that blue lightened and was adopted by rebel groups because of their devotion to catholicism versus protestantism and and how the the powers that be when argentina gained independence wanted to pay homage to the rebels and the rebels used the blue and white sash you know yeah it's history goes all the way back to the end of the Roman Empire, and somehow it's still on the pitch for the Argentina darn. players on their on their jersey. Well, that's fascinating. I honestly did not know that. Incredible. So I wonder if that's the reason the Virgin Mary was always cloaked in that color blue because it was, as you're saying, was expensive. Because it was and a very expensive. Okay. Co- because you think about it, the the lapis lazuli, the the, the mineral yeah. that was used to make it, yeah. was mined in Afghanistan, and this is before you had air travel and yeah. get it over. So it had to go over expensive. overseas or over land to get back to Europe. Hmm. That's fascinating. Shout out also to the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. That was actually a very good game. Frank Gore Jr. setting Showed a out. record. Wow. What an athlete he is. But congratulations to them. They defeated the Rice Owls in the Lending Tree Bowl. We're stepping aside for a break on Middays. Douglas Carswell from the Mississippi Center for Public Policy at 11.05. Now back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi.
everyone to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. On the ceasefire text line, sleeting and startful right now, says Craig. I just looked at the radar, and there is a, a big old batch of yellow, orange, and green that's covering, I'd say, 60-70% of our neighbor to the west to Louisiana, and it's headed right at us, moving on a fairly parallel line with the Gulf Coast west to east this point we just happen to be in that wonderful goldilocks zone of where it's cold enough for the rain to be miserable but not cold (laughs) enough for it to turn into snow for any fun very true jeff says man this global warming crap is brutal it's climate change jeff get with the program (laughs) (laughs) oh bowen indianola that's right rhino pex pipe does not freeze but it is expensive the fittings are ten times higher and are bad about leaking. I highly suggest if anyone uses PEC pipe, is it PEC or PEX? PEX. PEX pipe to use two rings on fittings and cut the pipe exact length and secure it to the wall or stud so it does not droop or hang. Yeah, that makes sense. Appreciate that, Bo. Jerry in Pontotoc says... I'm really a burning the firewood. Santa going to have a cold ride. Yeah, I believe so. Well, let's see here. Dave from Manistee, Michigan says, disconnect your garden hoses so the bibs can drain. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Thank you for that, Dave, for that. I typically do that, but I have a couple that are connected to hoses right now that I forgot. I got to go disconnect. Do it. Yeah. It looks like that rain, it's moving rather slowly as it crosses the river, and sometimes it will, the river will interfere with it a bit as it crosses, but at this point, I don't don't think we're set for any sort of storms or severe weather, haven't seen any such forecast, because we don't have any warm air to clash with the cold air. Yeah, there's not enough energy in the atmosphere. Yeah, so we're in good shape. And that 2023 is the year that we will see folks lose homes and go bankrupt due to inflation. People who have been charging everything are about to lose their minds and livelihoods. I predict it will be worse than we've ever seen. What say you? I don't think it will be worse than we've ever seen. I do think that we are are facing, we are approaching... A, uh, a number of headwinds from an economic perspective. I have uh, been fairly consistent with that position. I think the first half of the year is when all that will culminate and come together. I guess what I'm most worried about are folks that have some sort of debt. It could be an adjustable rate mortgage. It could be, this is sort of typical, you've got lots of businesses that may have some sort of of loans, could be asset loans, working capital loans, and any other sort of debt instruments that have interest rates attached to them that are are going to, and these notes are going to expire, they're going to term out, and these interest rates were prior to the increase uh, of rates that has been applied by the Fed, and when they go to refinance that debt, 
they're going to face considerably higher debt service payments to service that debt. That's what I'm worried about. You don't hear a lot because it's one of those things where we just don't seem to care about stuff in the news until it's like on top of us. And it's, it's so it's not getting a great deal of attention. And I certainly am subject to being wrong here. I just think this is going to be a bigger problem than uh, we're hearing about from just mainstream news. The other thing, of course, are these home equity loans that um, play into that as well. Lots of folks, when interest rates were low and their home values were rising and they were able to essentially acquire some equity, produce some equity in their homes just because of those dynamics. You bought your home at a certain price and it's you financed it, you've paid down on some of the principal, and at the same time, demand for homes increased, supply decreased, thus the, the price of real estate, residential real estate, also increased. And so you've got a situation where you've, you've produced equity. And a lot of folks went and borrowed against that equity because the interest rates were so low. Now, the principal comes due. Or they may want to roll it, and maybe the price of their home, the value of their home, has declined. And and all that just sets up for a problem for the banks more than it is the consumer. You know what what they say, right? You owe owe a bank a thousand bucks, it's your problem. You owe them a hundred thousand, it's their problem. That's kind of what we're looking at here. And it's not quite the same as the subprime crisis that essentially triggered the 2008 financial debacle and subsequent recession, but it's it, it will be an issue. It will be a factor. The markets, they're still not happy down today. NASDAQ down over 1%. That's because 10-year yields are up. It's the same old story. I yields, just wonder Yields if, go up. Will it? Remember back during COVID, you had a lot of banks and lenders willing to give grace periods. Yeah. If it gets really bad, will you see banks and lenders offering similar grace periods? Well, let's be honest. The the banks, they want their money. They want to work with you to figure out a way to for you to repay them, right? Something's got to work for them. And the borrower, they don't want to foreclose. And and often, they don't want assets, even when they're assets that that are collateralizing, securing those, uh, those loans. That's not what they want. That's not the business they're in. So, yeah, I do think you'll see some creative uh, approaches to dealing with the situation. You're already seeing a se- severe decline in new mortgage origination. And I heard this morning that the lenders are getting creative again about how could we get folks in now at, at a point where they could, uh, with some sort of structure, mortgage that they can afford, while rates are elevated, and then on the other side of that, refinance. So, yeah, you get creative. Not, not surprising, not unusual. And I think that's what we're looking at. Something else, honestly, to think about is tax revenue. So I know I shared last week that I do, in fact, subscribe to the monthly treasury 
<laughs> report. And one of the things that I noticed is that tax revenues rose only 1% for October and November of fiscal year 2023, which to the federal government are the first two months in their fiscal year. It, it uh, begins October 1, ends September 30th. Well, last year, for that same two-month period of time, 21%. So we had record revenues last year because we had – so this is the thing that this just drives me crazy, Rhino, about the – the Robert Reiches and Liz Warrens and the really anti-business figures in government. Those big corporations are making record profits. Yeah, and guess what that produces? Record tax revenues, you idiot. And it's not just because of corporate taxes, because corporate taxes are only about 10 to 12 percent of total revenue. Record profits are a result of the helicopter money that went into bank accounts that got spent. So what you've got is a whole lot of pass-through small and mid-sized businesses who file as individuals that had record profits because the government sent everybody money. And what do they go do? Spend it. It's just amazing that they won't be honest about this. So we had because they don't understand it. Uh, maybe you're right. So I did look at this. We produced enough revenue for fiscal year 2022 to cover our spending in 2019, just three years ago. If we would return to 2019 spending levels, we'd produce about a uh, hundred billion a deficit, as opposed to a 1.4 trillion dollar deficit. That's how much we've increased spending. It is insane. But I am concerned that we're going to see a a sharp decline in revenue, thus propping up deficits. And this is going to be the case at the state level as as well. Uh, That's what happens when you're not producing as much profit, you don't have all the helicopter money, uh, inflation is causing people to spend less, etc., uh, these are headwinds that are on the horizon of which we should be aware. We're stepping aside for a break right here. Again, Douglas Carswell with the MCPP at 12, excuse me, 1105. You're listening to Middays with Gerard. Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Run DMC Christmas? Oh, yeah. It's from our favorite, arguably, Christmas movie, Die Hard, remember? Oh, yeah. The limo driver sitting there waiting on him, listening to Christmas in Hollis by Run DMC. I'm glad you reminded me of that. What a great uh, Christmas movie that was. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, 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 I have a machine gun. That's right, little Christmas cheer. (laughs) Bruce Willis, unbelievable in that. Oh, yeah. What about Hans Gruber? (laughs) 
I played softball with a guy, he may be listening, that he kind of favored Hans. We called him Hans. Hans? Oh, Bubby? Exactly. What do you do with that gun? <laughs> the Stockholm Syndrome, remember that? Well, at this time, the... <laughs> Some expert. <laughs> Fun so. trivia factoid about that movie and about Hans Gruber. What's that? The final scene. Spoiler alerts if you haven't seen Die Hard. The final scene where Hans drops from Nakatomi Plaza. Yeah. They told Alan Rickman, we're going to let you go on the count of three. One, two, and then dropped him. So that look of surprise and shock on his face, that was real. Oh, I'll be darned. That was pretty smart, honestly. He was a little upset afterwards, but he's Alan Rickman, so he probably didn't show very much. (laughs) That's that's right. That would be contradictory to his uh, character, right? His personality and his public-facing personality, for sure. Tough guy. Good good show, though. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, also in sports... How about the Vikings? It, did I get this right? The greatest comeback in NFL history. The Vikings were down 33-0 to zero at halftime, forced overtime, and ended up winning over the Indianapolis Colts. They outscored the Colts 36-3 to three in the second half. Forcing an overtime, forcing overtime. Uh, and Greg Joseph kicked a 40-yard field goal as time expired it to win 39-36. Biggest comeback in history. Beating out the previous record holder of 32 points to overcome from back in 93, I want to say. It was the Buffalo Bills, the Bills versus the Oilers. The Houston Oilers at the time, right? I remember watching that. That was bizarre as well. But this was really something. They ended up winning the thing. I did the Vikings. But I will say, the Eagles look like they're in the driver's seat. They look pretty good. The Saints as well. They swept the Falcons, arch rival. Swept them this year. So, anyhow, that's some good games over the weekend. Had good soccer, uh, Southern Miss in a good good bowl game. It actually was a very entertaining bowl game, watching Frank Gore Jr. I got to tell you, I feel old because I remember when Ole Miss was recruiting and, and looking like going to sign Frank Gore from Miami. Had visited establish a relationship. And I used to go up there on signing day. I knew Cutcliffe and the staff. And I got to be friends with some of those guys. Great folks. And it was always um, dramatic and suspenseful as you waited for the LOIs to come in. And we, in those days, we'd gather around the old, the old uh, athletic offices, which were in desperate need of upgrading. Uh, obviously, they're not there anymore. That's since been replaced with other buildings and so forth. But I remember being there on pins and needles waiting for Frank. And I'm going to tell you, I don't have any proof, obviously, but I just believe some shenanigans went on there with the, um, his name escapes me, the Miami coach. 
I can see his face, but I can't recall his name. And, of course, Frank from Miami, and they didn't want him out of Miami. They wanted to keep him in the backyard there. Was it still Larry Coker at that time? Maybe it was Coker. And I just feel like some shenanigans went on. I, I know that I was literally present with the coach, uh, the assistant coach who recruited that area and had been recruiting Frank Gore. And I was present with him when he received a call from Frank's high school coach in Miami. And he had just signed his LOI with Miami to everyone's shock. And all I remember was a true story. Him on the phone, and when he hung up, he was tearing up over whatever he learned. And it was... Of course, the the drama was over, the LOIs were in, he was kind of the last one, you know, that they were waiting for. And he had to go home. He he left the, at that time. Something went on. I don't know what it was, and uh, I don't have any proof, but it's no surprise stuff happens in that world. Of course, it's all out in the open legal now. But I don't honestly think that there were financial inducements. I think something else was going on that I I can't prove. But it's a weird deal. Frank obviously turned out to be a fantastic player for Miami and then had a great NFL career. Doesn't he still have the record for the most games started as a running back in the NFL? Oh, I don't know. Could be. Very, very durable. And I, I know I heard the commentators that were broadcasting, doing play-by-play for the Southern Miss game, had uh, prior discussions prior to the game with Frank Gore Jr., and they were talking to him about his durability. And uh, he just talked about how uh, Frank did, Frank Gore Jr., how hard he had worked in the offseason. His goal was just that, you know, to play the entire season, which – it's gotten to be a little unusual for a running back these days. I mean, they just get banged up a lot. So when you are when you make it all the way through and you don't miss a game, it's actually pretty incredible and somewhat rare for one that gets used as much oh, yeah. as, as he does. But, yeah, he set a record, and what a good-looking athlete he is. So congratulations to Southern Miss, Coach Will Hall. Of course, we've got Ole Miss is playing – in Houston, that would be next Wednesday, the 28th. And then, of course, Mississippi State on January the 2nd. Lots of discussions about what the helmets will look like. You've probably seen some of the designs floating that would memorialize uh, recently passed away Coach Mike Leach. I've seen some of those helmet designs. They look cool. Oh, yeah, and I've seen several teams who have sported the skull and crossbones as a decal on their helmets during their bowl games as well. Sure have. And there, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows for Magnolia State sports. There was heartache for the Jackson State Tigers. Yes, sure was. Losing in overtime. Yes. Spoiling the undefeated season in Dion's last game at the helm. But I did see a video of him consoling the the player who dropped Dropped the the would-be touchdown pass. And that was 
a great insight into his coaching style. I agree. Because he, he did everything he could to try to, to bring that player's spirits back up and remind him of all the good he had done throughout the season, and that one play does not determine who he is as a person. It's unfortunate that we as selfish fans, that we tend to focus on that. I, and I saw some stuff on social media going after him. Really perturbed me. And, you know, the reality is these people that attack these athletes couldn't hold their jock straps. They could not ever dream of playing at that level. That's what really aggravates me. Unbelievable. But hats off also to Coach Prime for remaining with the team and coaching in the game. That's a bit... Even through alleged uh, interference from the school not wanting him to. Yes. I thought that was a class act. I really did. So It's I'm... a rarity in college athletics. Usually is. when the coach moves on, he's moved on. He, he doesn't have any time for his old team. They want you to pack it up and get out of there, honestly, because it, you could interfere with the, the ongoing operations of the program. So... Hats off to Coach Prime. Yeah, sorry that, that their fantastic season had to end that way, but they should hold their head high. They had one heck of a run, and he brought uh, honor and pride to that program like I don't think I've ever seen, and I think the future's still bright for those guys, as, as is the future for, I think, a wide swath of Mississippi sports. I think things are looking good. And I'm looking forward to some more bowl games coming up that Mississippi teams will be participating in. And, of course, this year, with with uh, New Year's Day being on Sunday, all the New Year's Day bowls are on Monday, so it's not to interfere with the NFL. Coming right back on Middays, Douglas Carswell at 11.05. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. From Coney Island to the Sunset Strip, somebody's gonna make a happy trip tonight while the moon is bright. Gonna have a bag of crazy toys to give the corners of the girls and boys so day. Santa comes on day. You come a calling when the snow's the most. When all your cats are sleeping warm as toes, and you gonna flip with Welcome back. We are in the Element Well Studios, Super Talk, Mississippi. So on the ceasefire text line, it ain't it just ain't Christmas till the Gruber drops. <laughs> Hans. I had forgotten about the limo driver. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, sitting in the car. What's going With on? With that giant stuff taber. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do remember that. Servius, it's not Christmas until Severius Snape falls from Nakatomi Tower. <laughs> yeah, that was one of Alan Rickman's last great roles was Severus Snape in the Harry Potter movies. Yeah. And uh, he he was a very serious actor, like a Shakespearean actor, doing these 
at the time, Christopher Columbus holiday feeling kids movies. And he wanted to step away from the role, even though he was perfect for it. And the author of Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling, came to him and kind of divulged how his character was going to to wind up his character arc towards the, the end of the books. And it was that that cemented why he was perfect for the role and why he needed to stick it out and keep going. And that's that's why he ultimately kept playing Severus Snape. Hmm. Well, he was uh, perfectly cast in the role of Hans Gruber. And even the name was, like, perfect, wasn't it? See, being my age, and I was, I don't even know yeah. if I would be able to go to the theater when Die Hard 1 came out, ah. but I do remember watching them out of order and being thoroughly confused until I saw Die Hard, because I saw Die Hard with a Vengeance as my first oh. iteration of Die Hard, where Jeremy Irons is playing Hans Gruber's brother, seeking revenge, and I'm like, okay, this is cool world building, but... Who's Hans? Yeah. And then I finally got around to seeing the original. you got to watch oh, the original. Oh, it's, that's Hans. <laughs> Bruce Willis. Wasn't he like on his belly in his T-shirt crawling around with his gun and and shots are ringing out and he's like m- making fun of his wife? Come to the coast. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's after he'd fallen down the air conditioning thing and and caught it, caught the the sling of his what was it, MP5 or whatever, and yeah. crawling through the ductwork with his Zippo lighter. That's right. Come to the coast. Come to the... We'll have a few laughs. <laughs> that was great. Oh, well. It's not Christmas without Die Hard, as we said. <laughs> it was in the Kevin Costner Robin Hood movie as well. He was the he, oh, yeah. sheriff of he Nottingham. He sure was. See, he plays a good bad guy like that. The sheriff of Nottingham. What has Joe in Gulfport said? I thought he was better in Quigley Down Under. As uh, Marston? Was that his name? Not yeah, familiar. He, Quigley Down Under is one of those underrated Western-style movies, but it was set in Australia, and I want to say it was Tom Selleck was Quigley as a marksman. Yeah. It's a, it's a fun movie. Yeah. Alan Rickman, once again, was phenomenal because he... Took everything 100% seriously. Very much so. I would add one more movie to his credit that hasn't been mentioned. Okay. That is considered by some in Hollywood to be one of the few perfect movies. Galaxy Quest. I hadn't seen that. It's a sci-fi spoof kind of movie poking fun at Star Trek and the fandom of Star Trek. Mm -hmm. But it does it in such a... A loving way to where the Star Trek fans don't feel being they don't feel like they're being put upon. They can enjoy it and enjoy the the, the ribbing. But Alan Rickman, in typical Alan Rickman style, in this in the middle of this campy, cheesy sci-fi movie, can make you emotional. <laughs> really, there's a scene where he he gets he he, he digs deep. I'm not going to spoil anything. That, that's one that's worth watching. Well, that would be, I would say, a testament to his versatility as oh, an actor. Yeah. No doubt. What about Elon Musk? What the heck? He throws a poll out there. Should I step <laughs> down as head of Twitter? I will abide by the results of this poll. And last I checked, 57.5% said yes, you should step down. 
It's just weird. It's weird. As the saying goes, be careful what you wish, you might get it, Musk wrote in a tweet Sunday night shortly after posting the poll. So you think he'll do it? Is he going to step down? And if he so, said he would abide by the results. He sure did. Who's the uh, heir apparent? Who will, who will the board, who might he recommend, who would the board hire? Would it be their choice? Well, you know what? It's a private company now. So I don't know. He may be the sole decision maker here. I don't know if he has a board or not. Wow, that would be fascinating. We're going to have fun watching that uh, unfold here. But he uh, never disappoints if you're looking for surprises, and no doubt about it. Coming right back after the break with Douglas Carswell from the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. And now. Another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We're in the Element Well Studios today. Let's see, Wednesday and Friday, I'll be at Carter Jewelers. That's correct. Wednesday and Friday, and that'll wrap up the remotes uh, for the year 2022. Next week, we will be in the studio here at Super Talk. But joining us now is Douglas Carswell, the president and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. Douglas, good to see you. Good morning, Mississippi. So you have uh, recently published uh, a platform, uh, has the MCPP for Mississippi, kind of a roadmap for Mississippi that uh, would guide the state with conservative policy. Tell us about that. Well, all of Mississippi's statewide elected um, officials are self-identified conservatives, and they have been for quite a long time. So on behalf of Mississippi's overwhelmingly conservative voters, (laughs) we thought we would publish a list of things that any real conservative lawmaker ought to be able to support. We think there are a series of practical things that people in Mississippi can do to lower taxes, to generate prosperity, to improve education, to cut the cost of health care. And so we published this in the hope and the expectation that in the 2023 legislative session, um, some bills come forward to make these things a reality. Okay. And I and I reviewed that. So uh, I want to say, as I recall, top on the list was cutting taxes. Yes. We have got a massive budget surplus. And we saw earlier this year, 2022, um, a big tax break for Mississippi families. The uh, income tax rate is in effect reduced from about 7% down to uh, Mm -hmm. 4%. But that's still going to leave in the 2024 session, we estimate, um, nearly a billion dollar surplus. And what is it that we should do with that? Should we A, allow politicians to spend it on their pet projects and fritter it away? Or B, give it back to Mississippi taxpayers? (laughs) We think we should give it back to Mississippi taxpayers. Either as the governor has very encouragingly said, through a further reduction in the personal state tax rate, or I think perhaps even um, corporation tax break for small businesses. Most 
businesses that pay corporation tax in Mississippi are not giants. They're not, they're not Nissan. They're not big companies. They're small mom and pop operations. Why not give a tax break to every business in Mississippi that, for example, has fewer than 100 employees? Well, presently, most of those, of course, are pass-through businesses, so they pass through their income and file um, as individuals. So are you thinking about uh, something that would, uh, like the federal government did with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which which reformed the pass-through provisions mm-hmm. and uh, essentially uh, reduced their overall tax liability? Yep. I mean, there are different ways of doing it. But generally speaking, I hope any conservative out there any conservative lawmaker can agree if you've got a nearly a billion dollar surplus the thing to do is to actually give people back that money through reducing the tax burden um i I was very encouraged that the governor recently came out and said he wanted to build on the 2022 uh reduction in the personal income tax put it another way the southern united states is prospering it's doing incredibly well from texas to florida to tennessee Mississippi is beginning to join that southern success story. Yeah. But we're doing it because we're getting government out of the way, we're reducing regulation, and we're cutting tax. And we need to build on that and and, and go further than we've done so far. So as you recall, just sticking with the tax uh, subject, as you recall, the House did pass a bill mm-hmm. that would totally eliminate the income tax, but it also included some increases – in, in sales taxes, which yeah. is our other major source of revenue at the state level, but that didn't get any traction yeah. in the Senate. Do, do you feel, have you done some some, uh, some modeling, some math to see if it's possible to completely eliminate the income tax without raising sales tax? We're doing some at the moment. I'm not a big fan of tax swaps because, as you point out, Previously, when a proposal for a tax swap has come forward, the people that are going to theoretically gain from the reduction don't know it, and the people that sense that they're going to pay for the increased tax on on sales tax, they they, they definitely feel it, and they let you know about it. Rather than a tax swap, I think straightforward reduction. But it's got to be sensible. So we're publishing something called the Responsible Budget for Mississippi. We want to avoid doing, for example, what happened in Kansas, where there were – excessive tax cuts that um, there was no control of of spending Spending. and they got into trouble. The budget that we're uh, publishing on the 27th of this month, immediately after Christmas, it it, it is modeled and it shows um, that if you control the spending, that will allow you to further reduce tax cuts. And what we've done, and we look back over the past 10 years at the rate of population change in Mississippi and inflation, and we think spending in Mississippi in the 2024 um, financial year should not be higher than that allowed by inflation and changes in the population. I see. So then, ba- based on that, then I would assume that the, this model, which will you be releasing on the 27th? Yeah. Okay. So I look forward to seeing that. So th- that then does call for some phasing out, some period to phase out the income tax altogether without uh, raising taxes on on sales taxes, which is the other source of revenue. And the way you do it is you build in so-called thresholds. So Mm -hmm. when you've got a surplus of a certain amount, that will allow you to reduce the income tax rate further. And you you do it sensibly. You've got to avoid – I was very struck earlier this year when there were those in the Senate in particular who were opposed to tax reduction. They came out with this point – what about Kansas? How do we mm-hmm. avoid being like Kansas? Or in my own case, how do we avoid being like the United Kingdom where you make yeah. unfunded tax cuts? 
you do that by controlling spending. So the budget that we're publishing on the 27th, immediately after Christmas, starts by controlling spending. We've got this fiscal rule, and if you abide by that fiscal rule, there's no danger of unaffordable tax cuts. I see. Are you concerned at all about uh, possible macroeconomic headwinds that might impact these, uh, essentially just evaporate these surpluses that we're currently producing, or certainly reduce them substantially? When you got a big spending Biden administration in Washington, goodness knows what macroeconomic headwinds (laughs) you could face. But cast your mind back to the late 1970s, early 1980s, when the Reagan administration came in and was advocating for tax reduction. They were told, you know, you can't afford it. Look what happened in the 70s. The way you get out of a 70s-type economic scenario mm-hmm. is through tax reduction. So, you know, no one can be absolutely clear, but we think in our modeling that the surplus that we have is what economists would call a structural surplus rather than a cyclical surplus. Okay. So we don't think it's going to evaporate okay. entirely overnight. Okay. Yeah. So, in other words, it just stays constant, and it's not it's it's subject to uh, just economic uh, dynamics and changes. Yeah. yeah. I'm reluctant to say 100. percent Look okay. at look at what's happened economically um, over the past few years. Events have come along, but insofar as an economist can be sure, we think that we can afford to use some of this surplus to further reduce taxes. Okay. It, when it's accompanied by uh, some sort of spending. Uh, reductions yep. or certainly just reining in spending. C- control spending. The rate of spending. Control spending, and then you can afford these things. Gotcha. Okay, so you, I believe, also suggested that we need to, uh, to get the citizen-initiated ballot measure yep. process. We need to renew democracy. We think we need a right of recall for local mayors. Okay. Now, some people say, well, what about, why not everyone? Let's start with mayors. Everyone knows examples where you've got a mayor who is not very good at the job, and the reason why they get elected is because they control the local party machinery, and whoever is the candidate for that party automatically gets in. Mm-hmm. Have a right of initiative so that actually people out of election season can judge whether or not their local mayor is doing the job okay uh we also need to fix the right of initiative you know we had this really important initiative on the issue of medical marijuana the supreme court ruled that it wasn't valid because the trigger mechanism was broken so let's fix it we think that in mississippi it should be possible for ordinary citizens to vote to change the law mm-hmm. okay so of course you know the story there we we got something out of the house went to the senate didn't really uh, come out of the Senate, so yep. we ended up with nothing, yep. and we presently have nothing. I think part of the problem is, should the right of initiative be to amend the Constitution or to change the law? If it's to change the Constitution, then I think the threshold should be incredibly high, because sure. you, you shouldn't have regular votes to try to amend the Constitution. But if it's changing the state law, I think you can afford to have a lower threshold, because fundamentally, if you have a vote to change the state law, the mm-hmm. legislature can change it back. If if people vote for something and it turns out to be a bad move, yeah. you can you can you can undo you can undo it. And I so I think the Senate I hope will allow a lower threshold to change state statutes. Yeah, I, and I I feel like I, I've interviewed a number of uh, members of the uh, legislature the last few weeks, just in advance of them convening. I think there's certainly an appetite there for them to get something done here. I've sort of described this as a big 
unfinished piece of business. There's a massive appetite yeah. amongst your listeners. No doubt about it. And, and agree. And that's what I've shared with them as well. So hopefully the House and Senate. we got a break right here. you got some more stuff in your plan I want to yeah. talk about when we come back. Thank you. we got Douglas Carswell, President and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. Stay with us. With Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk, Mississippi. Let's go. Frosty the snowman was a jolly, happy soul. With a corn cup pipe and a button nose and two eyes made out of coal. Frosty the snowman is a fairy tale, they say. He was made of snow, but the children know how it came to life one day. There must have been some magic in that old top hat they found. Welcome back, midday, Super Talk Mississippi. Talking to Douglas Carswell, president and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. We're just discussing uh, MCPP's uh, blueprint for. Uh, conservatism in conservative policy in Mississippi as we approach the upcoming legislative session, 2023, hard to believe, just a couple weeks away, they'll all be convening under the dome. So, all right, so we've talked about the plan or your proposal, suggestion, recommendation, Mm -hmm. cut taxes, uh, establish a recall process, at least at the local level, Mm -hmm. to recall mayors, and then uh, getting... A ballot measure, a citizen-initiated ballot measure process, shored up and reenacted and available to the citizens. Let's keep going. Education next on the list, I see. What do you want to do there? We think there needs to be transparency in public education. Um, a lot of mums and dads are very concerned as to what's being taught in the classroom. Surely it should be a right for people to know what their children are being taught. So we would support a law that ensures parents can see what their children are being taught and that curriculum materials should be posted online. Yeah. Um, it's low cost. It's pretty straightforward. Um, I think in previous um, publications, we've shown that critical race theory is being promoted, but it's difficult to know how prevalent that is. And I think it's important not to over-exaggerate it, but transparency, I think, you know, um, sunshine is the best disinfectant. If people knew these things were being taught to their children, I think they'd soon put a stop to it. Yeah. Well, I, I, I agree, and I hear it from, from parents, uh, and not just parents, but just concerned Mississippians in general, and they believe they should have a voice in education, and I'm, and I'm with them. I support that. But in, in addition, what about um, education choice mm-hmm. and ed, education freedom there? Yeah. How do you feel about that? We, we think that school choice is really important, and there's not enough of it. 
And one of the ways you increase school choice is having more charter schools for nearly a decade. It's going to be 10 years in a few weeks' time since we enacted a bill to allow people to set up charter schools. And guess Mm -hmm. what? 10 years later, there are only eight of them in the whole state. Right. Because there is a roadblock to reform. There is an organization in this state that is called the Charter School Authorizer Board, but it is misnamed. It is the Charter School (laughs) Non-Authorizer Board. It lives to say no. It has got a record of... 80% of applications it rejects. Right. And I think it behaves like lots of these bodies. It represents vested interests who, let's whisper it gently, just between us two, they don't really like charter schools. Yeah. And we need to call time on this. Why have we got a charter authorizer board that isn't very good at helping set up charter boards? So I think we need to break the monopoly of this self-serving cartel. Does it seem like maybe that... Those who have the authority to appoint members to that board are appointing members that aren't really favorable towards charter schools. Well, if I had responsibility for appointing someone to the board, my first question would be, do you believe in charter schools? Yeah. And I wonder if that question is always asked, because if you have a board that doesn't believe fundamentally, passionately, that we need more charter schools, charter schools are good because they elevate the condition of education and they change the life trajectory of kids in Mississippi. This has been shown right across the United States. And every time they say no, every time they reject a perfectly good, adequate application on the grounds that it's imperfect, they are consigning kids in that neighborhood to the poverty of low expectations. And it's appalling that this happens. So, yes, let's increase the number of people on the board who believe in charter schools, but let's break the monopoly of the charter authorizer board in other states it's normal to allow charters to be approved by universities another way of doing it might be to say once an organization has been approved to run a charter school you shouldn't need to come back and get permission every time you want to open up a new school one of the reasons why we've got so few charter schools in mississippi is because private investment and capital and know-how can't come into the state because there's so much uncertainty uncertainty created by this say no to everything board florida and arizona really kind of set the standard uh, yep. in this area yep or even you don't even need to look that far and it's not a perfect system but look at new orleans new Louisiana's orleans, done really yeah, well every public school in new orleans is a charter school and if it can work for them why can't it work yeah, here that's a good point all right health care gosh that's something that's gotten uh, gotten a lot of attention here in the state of mississippi the last few months in particular with uh department of health uh dr edney coming mm-hmm. out in in revealing that uh, we have 122 hospitals, 54 rural, mm-hmm. half of them are in really fairly desperate financial mm-hmm. condition, and he's sounding the horn on this. Mm-hmm. What should we do? I think conservatives need to stop defending the status quo and recognize we need change. But how do we change? Mm-hmm. If you just take federal dollars, you're not going to fix the problem. If you use federal dollars to subsidize hospitals that aren't delivering enough care for patients to generate the revenue you're 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 propping up something that's not sustainable long term and if you use federal dollars and throw it at the healthcare system without increasing the provision of healthcare, you're just going to push up the costs for all of those people who have to scrimp and save to be able to pay their insurance costs so what we need to do is and i was very encouraged that the governor identified this as a priority the other week you cut the cost of healthcare by getting rid of these rules introduced in 1980 not that long ago that limit the number of people who can provide health care those would be the certificate of need rules yeah. it, it is it is extraordinary that in the united states the so-called free market economy today you have what are in effect 
socialist restrictions it's worse than socialist they're restrictions that act in the interest of existing providers and there's a very powerful lobby in the legislature that kills any attempt at getting rid of these restrictive practices but people in mississippi pay the price for this through higher health care costs stop and ask yourself a question it's wonderful that the two sides in this health care dispute between the insurance provider and ummc have now come to an agreement right but isn't it absurd that you have such a monopolistic system so that you know you you, you've got a huge um provider why don't we have more providers of healthcare in Mississippi? Um, if you had more providers of healthcare in Mississippi, perhaps you wouldn't get into this kind of standoff situation we've had for the past year. Perhaps if somebody wanted to open a new uh, MRI scanning facility, they would be able to do so without having to get a permit. Do you know, it costs something like $11,000 to have an MRI scan in Mississippi. Right. Why not allow competition to cut the costs of that? It's absurd. These laws have to go. Yeah. I've been crusading on it for, it seems like, 20 years, and mm-hmm. it just it just never gets any traction. There's a very powerful vested interest in the legislature. Maybe it's time for conservatives to identify what these vested interests are. And if people can see how a cartel is short-circuiting the political system for their advantage and that it's costing ordinary Mississippians, maybe conservative lawmakers might actually do something about it. Yeah. All right, so you're also advocating for a women, a women's Bill of Rights yeah. and a Parents' Bill of Rights, which we touched on somewhat. But uh, tell us about the Women's Bill of Rights. What are you doing there? What do you think maybe is missing that hasn't already been done? Well, there's this idea of a Women's Bill of Rights which would simply codify for the purposes of law the common-sense idea that, you know, um, a, a, a woman and your status as a woman is rooted in basic biology, your, your, the composition of your chromosomes. Um, we, we think that there may be a case for actually passing a law that spells this out. Now, we okay. passed the um, Fairness Act to try to safeguard women's yeah, sports. Sports. Um, but perhaps we need to go further. And I think there's a strong argument now. If you had asked me even two years ago if we needed this, I would have said it's absurd. <laughs> but given how absurd the woke agenda is, where they're attempting to define what a woman is, not on the basis of biology, but on the basis of self-identification, perhaps we need this in Mississippi to try and avoid having kind of some of the problems that other states have got themselves it into. It totally is crazy when you think yeah. about it. Do we have to codify this? I mean, it's, it's fairly well established, I thought, like for a long time since the beginning of man yeah, and woman. I mean, I thought, you know, if you've got a, a, a the XY chromosome, um, that made you male, XX yeah. chromosome, that made you female. And I thought that was, I, I think I've got that the right way around. I thought that was basic biology, like two plus two equals four, but apparently not. Maybe we need to legislate for this. Oh, it's crazy. All right, so... Um, Anti-ESG. We've talked about that quite a bit on the program. What are you looking for there? First of all, I think we've got to be careful. A conservative believes in the free market should make sure that they're not advocating a cure that's worse than the disease. Sure. We need to make sure we're not in the business of telling private capital how it should be allocated. What this is about is making sure that public um, resources, that the, the state treasurer, public um, pension funds are not being invested in pursuit of ESG um, goals. Some states have already done that. Some have, and we need to make sure we do it, but we need to make sure we do it the right way. I'm I'm having a lot of discussions with various different groups in the state to make sure that we do this in a way that's consistent with free market ideas. We don't want to use 
the levers of the state to try to force people to do conservative things. That yeah. would be wrong. Got to be careful. I yeah. totally agree. Douglas, appreciate you coming on. And, and uh, I like the plan. I like the program. And uh, look forward to seeing it get some traction, hopefully, and attention. Thank you. When those folks get down to the legislature in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much, and a yep. Merry Christmas to you and your listeners. Same to you, sir. Douglas Carswell, President and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. We're coming right back on Midday. Stay with us. with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Back to midday, Super Talk Mississippi, Super Talk Outdoors coming up at 12.05 today because it is a Monday. We are back in the Element Wealth Studios. So don't forget, last week, just in the nick of time, a continuing resolution was passed to keep the government funded for a week. A week. They still got to do something a little bit more permanent. The Democrats, of course, would like to fund the entire year, fiscal year 2023, what remains in it, the uh, 10 remaining months. I guess it'd be nine since they did a CR for the remainder of, virtually the remainder of December, the third uh, fiscal month of the year 2023 the house republicans say no let's just let's just do the minimum to tide us over until the new house is seated republicans in control and let's work diligently to fund the government but i don't get it the republicans in the senate They're like going along with the Democrats here. It's the Stockholm Syndrome over there in the Senate, Rhino. It's like the Republicans, they're best buds now. Now, I know there are folks out there saying, we told you, they're all rhinos. I, I know. Not like this. I've never seen this before. And it's disturbing. Like, what the heck are you doing? You're... You're giving them exactly what they want here. I'm going to just offer an opinion, folks. Senator Shelby, from our neighbor to the east, the great state of Alabama, he is now the earmark king, by the way. And he has been for quite some time. So, earmarks are back. We know that. He's asking for 
$656 million for his state of Alabama. $656 million. $200 million for the Alabama State Port Authority. $100 million for the Department of Transportation uh, to do some work on the Woolsey Fennel or Fennel Bridge over the Black Warrior River in Tuscaloosa, and $76 million for the University of Alabama at Birmingham's School of Medicine, UAB School of Medicine. So that was brought back, you remember, last year, brought back these earmarks. Even his colleague, Senator Tommy Tuberville from Alabama, calls it, quote, an inherently wasteful spending practice that is prone to serious abuse. This is when the earmark uh, returned and were voted on and approved last year. That was the way he described it. But here's what I think is going on. This is what we warned about with respect to term limits. He ain't running again, Shelby. So this is what happens. It's scorched earth. I'm getting all I can to make sure I take care of all my cronies so they'll take care of me when I'm out of here. That's the danger of of term limits. The other one that is nearly as bad, Inhofe from Oklahoma. Same deal. That's the risk. All of a sudden, they don't really care. They're only worried about their life after the Congress, after serving in public office, let me let me just try to shove everything I can in there while I'm still here. I don't really care if the voters are mad about my reckless spending habits. I'm out of here. That's the problem. And of course they're going to get support from, uh, from Democrats and, of course, other Republicans that, too, are seeking favors for their states and you know, Rhino, we've talked about it so many times, and it's the truth. You got 435 on the House side and 100 on the Senate, and they're all basically doing this. And here's the problem. At home, you know what they're doing? Yay, Senator Shelby, he got us $656 million. Oh, but not you, Mississippi. You can't have any. You're the ones that, that caused the debt to rise. That's how short-sighted we are when we look at this. Think about our own state. We're doing victory laps over this ARPA money. How many times have we talked about ARPA money on this program? Everybody that comes on. Now, I'm not being critical of them for investing the money that's coming their way. Certainly everybody at the municipal level, what you've been working on. Well, we're just trying to make sure we're spending our ARPA money, right? Oh, yeah. Because it's there. All I'm saying is, when does somebody stand up and say, you know, I'm grateful for this this pot of dough that we're going to spend for these various purposes, but I don't like the fact that this is running our debt up. Who in their right mind says, you know, we're $31 trillion in debt, we're running a $1.2 trillion deficit this year, what's another $656 million? I like I couldn't in good conscience say, yeah, let me go let me get in there and fight for my state to get more money. Pay no attention to that deficit debt. 
and and the accompanying inflation that's wrecking every household virtually. That's exactly what's happening. So now we're looking at a $1.7 trillion omnibus discretionary spending bill. It's nearly $200 billion more than the last one. This is why. This is an example. And that, by the way, includes another $80 billion for the military. When does it end? When do we ever say we just ain't got it? I've never heard anybody say that. And the same people who say, we've got to cut out the reckless spending. Oh, yeah, but I'm on board with that. That just drives me crazy. Drives me crazy. It's talking out of both sides of your mouth. When will somebody stand up and say, no, we can't do it? And as we discussed last week, really would like to see this broken down as it is supposed to, based on regular order, to 12 independent budgetary spending bills that fund the various categories of government, not this big lump everything in there. This is why Senator Shelby can just say, oh, they'll never notice $656 million for the great state of Alabama. Oh, I'll just throw that in there. They'll never notice. $1.7 trillion. It's exactly how it works, though. It's exactly how it works. It's some 4,000-page bill. It's got all 12 of them in there in one vote, and nobody's going to hold up that sort of gargantuan legislation for one deal. But if you did that with regular order, where you negotiated and were forced to dig into the details and offer amendments and so forth for 12 separate bills, that's regular order. That's why they don't do it. Because they know, well, I might not be able to get my buddy what they wanted, and that might hurt my chances of landing some cushy gig once I'm out of here. This is exactly what happens. It's just a spigot. It's a faucet. It's a money pit. It's incredible how we've gotten to this point. It's totally irresponsible and so inconsistent with responsible, good financial practices. And this is where I'm in the camp that says, yeah, we do need to run the place more like a business. You just wouldn't do that in business. Hey, we're broke. <laughs> we got debt out our rear. We're, we're losing money. Let's go spend more. You just wouldn't do that in business. You couldn't. You would have no source for the capital. <laughs> it won't let it happen. But this is happening, folks, and we're going to stay on it because I'm betting that the Senate Republicans aren't going to change their posture on this. I do not know where, where our stand. Unfortunately, Senator Wicker could only stay on one segment last week. He was scheduled to be on for two, and it turned out he did have some Senate business that cropped up literally 10 minutes before we came on. Otherwise, I was going to just ask him, where do you stand on this? So I don't know. We'll try to find out where our senators stand. But this is irresponsible. It's, it's bad business. It's not the way to run things. And 
it it's just got it's snowballing. We got to stop it. We got to change it. Coming right back with the final segment on midday Super Talk Outdoors with Ricky Matthews after the top of the hour. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. Feliciano will get you in the Christmas spirit. <laughs> so, we were just talking about Senator Richard Shelby retiring after this term, trying to go out with a bang. I'm telling you, this is what would happen. And I'm not saying it's a reason not to enact term limits. I'm just saying, please consider, folks, This is the downside of term limits. It's scorched earth lawmaking. And Shelby is inserting $656 million of earmarks into this bill that would fund the federal government through the end of the fiscal year. If it's passed, he is the winner. Winner, winner, chicken for dinner. Senator Richard Shelby earmarks. Senator Inhofe, same deal in Oklahoma, number two on the list. So (laughs) when they asked him about it, Senator Shelby, this is what he said. (sighs) I'll be gone. I'll be cutting the grass and running errands for my wife. They'd start all over. I wouldn't get anything he's talking about if they don't pass this bill to fund the government for the year, which incorporates his $656 million. And it's not just him. He just tops the list. I think there's $75 billion, if I'm not mistaken, of earmarks total. Did you know something else, Rhino, is it, I think COVID relief, COVID spending, just mark it down. It's permanent. Every single bill is going to have a big chunk of money in it for COVID, including, in this case, just one of the items of funding. The CDC virtually doubling their budget. Said they got to have it. Rochelle Walensky that runs the place over there. So eight of the ten senators that have the biggest value, the largest value of earmarks in this bill, are Republicans. I'm telling you, Stockholm Syndrome here. Well, I'll give you your $10 billion for Rochelle Walensky's CDC to fight COVID. Just give me a few hundred million over here for my earmarks for my state. So I can go out and maybe they'll name something after me. <laughs> it's serious. And so what will happen? This is how it works. They'll put these 12 bills together. It'll be three to 4,000 pages. They'll get it two hours before they call for a vote. You think they have a clue what's in there? No. The staffers are busy behind the scenes dumping everything in the kitchen sink in there 
to make their person look good. Essentially, it's emasculated Republicans is what's happened here. We need regular order. We need a short-term continuing resolution. Let's get the House seated. Let's conduct the business of the U.S. House and Senate in accordance with prescribed regular order. How in the hell can anybody object to that? I just can't imagine not being in favor of regular order. And by the way, that starts with that starts with applying the PAYGO rule that was passed in 2010 that basically says you can't add spending unless you cut elsewhere or generate revenue to cover that additional spending, the $200 billion that's in this one. If they would just, instead of always putting in that 3,000-page bill a waiver, by the way, of PAYGO, they waive it. Why did we pass it if you're going to waive it every time? Which I don't even think, I'm not even sure if it's constitutional just to waive it like that. I'm curious with somebody smarter than than I on that matter. It just seems weird. You pass a law and then you just waive it. So just apply it. There was it was passed for good reason. Just apply that. No, they won't because they're all looking for quid pro quo back scratching, keep me in office because I brought home the bacon, baby. It's true. That's how we operate the place. And then you wake up and say, wait, we got $31 trillion in debt. Well, duh. And we have this ridiculous 7.8% inflation. Well, yeah, because here Shelby's going to take $656 billion to Alabama, and there's another $74.5 billion of earmarks and all this other spending. We just never say no. Yes. I'm passionate about this. I'm on a rant. I know. But I just want you guys to know, here we go again. There's just no change. Another $1.7 trillion stupid bill, omnibus spending bill, 3,000 pages, all done in the the 11th hour. It's just not the way to conduct the business of the people. We're out of here today. Our good friend Ricky Matthews, host of Super Talk Outdoors, Up next with another episode. Back in here with you tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.